It's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come, and when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't, because they were holding on to something. That there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lee Esses. That really long introduction is one of the best quotes ever from movies, books, whatever. Absolutely adore this quote. And it is the perfect introduction to our topic for the bonus episode today, The Hero's Journey. And... On the off chance you've been living under a rock for the last three decades, that quote was from The Lord of the Rings. The movies made it popular. I don't know if it came directly from the book, but that seems like something Tolkien would write. There's something very similar in the books. We are talking about the hero's journey, which is something that we've gotten a lot of questions about. A lot of people hear this and have a response. Sometimes it's curiosity, sometimes their hackles go up because it's formulaic. It is formulaic, and today we're talking about that formula, but it is because it works. You will find, as you research it, that there are a lot of slightly different variations on timing and when this and that happens in your stories, but what we've put together today is what we see most often in the most popular stories that we enjoy. Some of the most common pop culture stories that include the hero's journey are The Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Star Wars, and Hercules. That's a very classical example of the hero's journey. It's all about the main character having to set off into a new world and discover and fight for what's right and what's good. Conquer the villain, change the world, often save the world, and change themselves in the process. So as we go through this, we're going to talk about the internal journey and the external journey. The internal journey often starts with the character believing a lie about themselves, and then they must confront this lie at the same time they are confronting the bad guy and the threat to the entire world that they need to save. So there are two parallel journeys that are happening in your common hero's journey structure. Let's get right into the cast of the hero's journey. There are certain characters that you will almost always find in a hero's journey. Of course, starting with a hero. You can't have a hero's journey if you don't have a hero. Your hero is conflicted. Yes, they are the ones to go out and fight the villain, but they have to conquer something in themselves first. If they don't have that, then the hero falls flat. There's no bravery because there's no fear. You need to have those go hand in hand. Example of the hero 
of course, Harry Potter, Mr. Frodo, Luke Skywalker, Hercules. A lot of the time, the person that the story is named after. Your hero often comes from a relatively mundane world. Hercules was just a dude until he found out that he was part god. He helped the farmer. He did what everybody does. Luke Skywalker was a moisture farmer. Frodo was just a kid who happened to inherit a house and jewelry with it. Your characters have a mundane existence. Your hero character starts out just like every other character in the book. The next person on the cast is your best friend or your romantic interest. They are the ones to influence the main character, usually for the good, but not always. It gets them to start asking those questions of, maybe there's something more to life. Maybe there is something that needs to change. Maybe I can do more. They're also the character that keeps the hero motivated when the hero wants to give up. When Frodo's just like, I can't go any further. Sam is, well, I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. Together, we can accomplish this goal. Last month, we talked about shoulder angels, where you have the angel and the devil on your shoulder. The best friend is usually your angel, that influence for good. And sometimes they're also the one to call out the character for their crap. They won't put up with it. They'll say, you are being you are being a pain right now and something needs to change. This is often when the reader also wants to call them out on it. It's like, stop moping, start doing again. A very, very key character in the hero's journey is your mentor. The Gandalf character, the Dumbledore character, that one person who is guiding and directing the hero based on their knowledge. And if we're talking A New Hope, Star Wars, Obi-Wan is very much the mentor character. Here is your father's lightsaber. He killed a bunch of kids with it. Let me teach you how to use it. They usually have a personal connection with the villain in some way, whether it was their former student or a family member or whatever. There is a personal connection that goes way back with the villain of the story. In the story that I'm writing right now, my mentor character is the only good person in this evil family, and he was ostracized and then eventually cursed. So he has a personal motivation to accomplish this goal, but he can't do it on his own in some way. He needs the hero. And speaking of personal connection with the villains, you can't have a hero's journey without the villain either. You have to have a villain. And I'll say this again, they have to be more powerful than your hero. Yes. If they aren't more powerful than your hero, then the journey is not fraught with that danger. There is no darkness that Sam Wise Gamgee is afraid of. And they also need a backstory. They need a reason why they're the villain, a reason why they're doing what they're doing. In the story I'm working on, I had the villain's backstory written before I had the hero's backstory written. Because to me, that was the more important character for the plot. Alongside the villain is what we call the secret ingredient character. This character kind of lurks, it's secondary, sometimes tertiary, exists, but isn't really that interesting until the end when it's like, oh, 
Kronk is actually going to be the secret ingredient that gets the Emperor his throne back. Sometimes your secret ingredient is the best friend character in the case of Samwise Gamgee, where he was the best friend, a very good influence, positive, but he was also the secret ingredient in defeating the big bad evil guy. And to a certain extent, Gollum was also the secret ingredient because they could not have gotten through those caves. They couldn't have gotten through the dead marshes. Even though we're constantly questioning his loyalty, he still helped them in their path. I would also say that Ron Weasley in the Harry Potter characters is a secret ingredient. Through a lot of the books, he's kind of a bumbling fool, but he has a lot of really shining moments. Like at the end of the first one where he's like, I got this chess game. And if it hadn't been for him, Harry and Hermione wouldn't have been able to continue to do the potions test and finally the end. Without Ron, they wouldn't have remembered that they should go get the basilisk fangs in the seventh book, which, by the way, turned out to be a MacGuffin. Ron had a lot of those secret ingredient moments where he was the key in a big change in defeating Voldemort. One of the most valuable but overlooked characters often it's a set of characters, are going to be your Greek chorus. C-3PO and Merry and Pippin are such good Greek choruses in Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, respectively. So in Disney's Beauty and the Beast, you've got Gaston, you have the three swooning ladies, the Bimbets, swooning after Gaston. They represent everybody in a certain way, and they represent, most importantly, the audience. Your Greek chorus needs to represent your audience. They are the characters who get terrified at this gigantic spider thing, so that your hero can be that much braver. They are the everyman, but they're also often comedic. They bring the element of humor, like C-3PO, his quips, or in Rogue One, you have Alan Tudyk's robot. He's constantly throwing out probabilities that they're going to die and that something's not going to succeed. That's funny. What the audience is thinking is, oh, that's super improbable that this is actually going to work. And then the robot is saying that for us. You also have your Greek chorus character to be the person that the people who know what's going on can explain this to your Greek chorus character. Sometimes, not always with the hero's journey, but in a lot of storytelling, that will be your main character who has to go to school to learn how magic works. But in the hero's journey, it's often a side character where Luke has to kind of explain to Han Solo, no, 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 the force is a thing. The final character type that we're going to talk about is another group of people. It's the society, your rebellion in Star Wars, the fellowship in Lord of the Rings, the Order of the Phoenix in Harry Potter. This is your support group. And as far as the storytelling formula goes, they are the ones to fall away so that your hero can stand out. But they are still people who understand the problem and are working toward a solution. Often your secret ingredient, if it isn't a villain's minion, your secret ingredient will end up in this society. So the one that comes to mind is Order of the Phoenix, actually Dumbledore's army in Harry Potter, where your secret ingredient is kind of Luna. And she's part of this Dumbledore's army society and ends up being a key to the whole ministry battle. 
And these are people that your hero trusts to accomplish their part in the final plan so he can go and kill the bad guy. But they need to fall away so that the hero can succeed on their own. That's kind of the wrap up of the characters of a hero's journey. You don't always have to have every character in here, and there can be more characters than the ones that we listed here. And a lot of your characters will wear more than one hat. They will be secret ingredient and society. We're going to get into the structure of a hero's journey using a three-act structure. But first, I want to hit again on the I don't want to be cliché. There's a reason why the hero's journey pops up in a lot of popular fiction. It works. People like a hero's journey. And you can still be unique, but use this tool in your toolbox. I don't think anybody said to George Lucas after A New Hope came out, well, yeah, that story's been told before. I mean, we joke around, I see memes all the time comparing Star Wars and Harry Potter and how it's basically the same story. But both still have a very, very large fan base. People love Star Wars and people love Harry Potter, despite it having the same basic structure. I'm going to correct you there. It's not despite, it's because. These stories ring true because they're communicated in this hero's journey style. So let's get into it. Starting with Act 1, the introduction. We're going to split things between internal and external. It starts with the hero is introduced. They show them in their everyday lives, how they feel about their everyday lives combined with what it is and how it exists. As audience members, we know something is wrong about everyday life. Sometimes in the case of Lord of the Rings, it's that this villain was never conquered. He just went quiet. Harry Potter, kind of the same way. In Star Wars, it's a lot more obvious because the Empire rules all, and that's just how life is. The internal part of this is that every day is the same for the hero. Every day, Luke gets up, helps his uncle at the farm to harvest moisture. And he wants something different, but he doesn't have the resources to do it. He's just looking at the double sunset. And a lot of your characters are going to be dreaming of a bigger life. You've got Belle in Beauty and the Beast. Is this it? Is this all life is about? I want adventure in the great white somewhere. Until one day. So everything is the same until blank. This sometimes is your inciting action. More often than not, it's a preface to your inciting action. It's the stranger has come to town and the bad guy's army is following him, but the droids come in Star Wars. And that's a preface to the Empire who is chasing them down. Letters start arriving at Harry Potter's house. Then something happens where the world's problems become extra personal to your hero. Harry Potter discovers that the reason he lives with his aunt and uncle is not because his parents died in a car crash, but because they were killed by this evil villain in the wizarding world that he's suddenly part of. Luke's aunt and uncle die. When that happens, that spurs him forward into this journey. This gives him a personal motivation And remember, your hero is still believing a lie about themselves during this time period. 
you should have introduced this lie by this point and maybe your readers recognize it as a lie, maybe they don't. That's okay. Either way, cool. Just so long as it's introduced. A lot of the time when the world problems becomes the personal problem, it's because the external side of it, there was an encounter with the villain. And that is often the inciting action. That inciting action spurs the hero onto this journey, makes him exit his world that he's used to and venture off somewhere else. This is often accompanied by a villain's rise to power in some way. They've accomplished a goal. They are now the more powerful person in this story. And with that comes the hero's fall from grace. Whereas he was a nice, respectable so-and-so, being his hobbit self, then he's no longer able to be a hobbit in the way he should. He needs to go on this journey to right things from being wrong. This is often when the mentor is introduced. It can sometimes happen a little bit earlier, like right before the inciting action, but it sometimes happens right afterward. It's the encounter with someone that knows the villain, recognizes the problem in the world, and that the villain is the reason, and helps them along the way toward starting the change, both internally and externally, that's going to affect the world. And if your mentor character is introduced earlier, they often aren't recognized to be that mentor character until this point, after the inciting action, after the fall from grace. Oh, you mean old Ben Kenobi? Oh yeah, he's the hermit that lives over there. I, I know of him. Here's a lightsaber. This is what it means to be a Jedi. He has become the mentor character, even if Ben Kenobi wasn't introduced. And this is when the journey begins. The end of Act 1 is the character setting off into the world to begin their trial. This is when the journey becomes literal. In Fellowship of the Ring, this happens after the council. He has decided at this point to accept the goal and accept the burden of destroying the ring for himself. It's not just a, I'm going to ferry it to the elves and they can just do whatever they want with it. It's a, okay, I am setting out on the goal and I know I might not survive, but this needs to happen. The acceptance that they are the key to solving whatever. Let's get on to Act 2. This is the escalating tension. You're going to have the try-fails in this. Try-fail means that they try something, but they fail at it. And on the internal side, this is because of that lie that they believe. So that is holding them back in some way. Act two is often the most difficult for a lot of storytellers because it's very easy to feel like you're just killing time until you get to the good part in the act three and the combat and da 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 But this is how you build tension. This is when you get those opportunities to make your villain villainous. One of the first things that needs to happen here is your hero faces that lie and it conquers him or her. They cannot overcome that lie. On the external side of this, at the beginning of Act 2, all of your important characters should already be introduced. Yeah, basically any character that's going to show up in Act 3 must have also shown up at this point. If you have the character show up just as an apothecary shopkeep, don't name him if he doesn't show up again. 
So after he recognizes his own weakness, his own failure, training sequence, crossfade, he's running, crossfade, he's lifting things, crossfade, he's swinging swords. He's working with the mentor. He's building this relationship with the mentor. Time is passing. This is a difficult thing to write because you don't want it to feel boring. You want some action, some forward momentum that's not just training. So while the hero is working internally on themselves, and you can world build a little bit more, the hero is training. At the same time, on the external side of things, the villain's wrath is increasing. Things are not necessarily going well for them. So they are heightening their reaction to things. The orcs are marching farther and farther from their homeland and getting closer and closer to the peaceful lands of the elves. Something is happening to tighten that wrench. Alderaan blows up. So right after this is your first internal tri-fail. Your hero is going to learn something. They're going to try to use it, execute it, And they are going to fail. Something is holding them back, and it's probably that lie. Oftentimes, this is placed after the training sequence because, okay, I know how to swing a sword now. I can go conquer the bad guy. He needs to be knocked down a peg. And this try-fail is a great way to bring him back and to rein him in. And the mentor often knows this is going to happen goes, hey, dude, maybe you shouldn't. He's like, nah, I got this. I have a cool sword. And turns out Mentor was right. I just keep picturing Hercules when he finishes training sequence and he goes off to try to rescue Megara from the river god and loses his sword, drops things, makes a complete fool of himself. And finally, his mentor, Phil, is like, use your head. And he literally uses his head charges at him, ram him. A lot of the time it can be an ego that is stopping them because they think they're ready for more than they are. But after this try-fail, there is a recognition that something isn't quite right. And there is more physical movement from place to place, more travel. Sometimes it's to go fetch an ingredient. Sometimes it's to go chase after the bad guy and rescue somebody. This often happens in Act 2. But there is another movement from place to place happening here. You want it to feel purposeful. So you should probably include some kind of ticking clock, a deadline, a specific defined goal that they're trying to reach, not just aimlessly wandering. Having that ticking clock helps ratchet up that tension. And we call it a ticking clock because of the tropes in action books and movies where the bomb is ticking down, it's counting down. This keeps that tension and that need to move forward. Well, why doesn't he level up a little bit more first? Well, because if he doesn't go by the time they finish building this gun, then all of humanity is going to get wiped out. While they're doing the traveling, that ticking clock is introduced This is also usually when the secret ingredient is revealed. This is not to say that's when that character is introduced, but this is when the audience realizes, oh, this character is going to mean something. It's not just a best friend. It's not just a sidekick to make the villain goofy. This is going to affect the story in some way. 
This is a renewed interest in the villain's side. Often this comes with what we call a pet the dog moment, where the villain is abusive to his henchman. And then the henchman just sort of looks up and glares at him for a second. Oh, this guy's going to be important. This is hard to do with the Lord of the Rings books because they're written differently than they've been published. But I feel like this secret ingredient is revealed with Samwise Gamgee when Frodo tries to run off on his own and do it himself. And Samwise is like, of course you're going alone and I'm going with you. He's showing his dedication, his commitment that he's not going to give up on Frodo and Frodo's mission. And that's really the point that you see Samwise as more than just a bag carrier. So after they reach their new destination, you have that second tri-fail where they go and try to rescue Princess Leia and they get caught in the trash compactor. And basically the only reason why they make it away is sheer luck and the mentor. Yeah. This particular one is less about ego and more about expressing power of the bad guys. This is truly how terrifying he is. After this tri-fail, you're going to have some kind of reward. Despite the fact they fail, they're going to win in a slight way. They're going to get a sword that is the only sword that can kill the bad guy, or they're going to find an elixir, some kind of physical secret ingredient, not a person's secret ingredient, to their main goal. After this, there's going to be another tri-fail. This third tri-fail is going to be when you lose your mentor. Your mentor will die because of an encounter with the villain. This needs to happen so that your hero can succeed. If this doesn't happen, your audience will always be asking, why did the mentor need the hero in the first place? Why didn't Dumbledore just go and kill Voldemort? We lost the mentor character so that the hero can succeed. This also will be your second encounter with your villain. There are a total of three. One is going to be your inciting action, where the hero falls from grace and the villain rises to power. This is a, okay, I've got this elixir, I've got these new skills, I've got my mentor, I've got my society, I've got everything I need to attack the villain. And fail miserably. Something is missing still. And it's a solidification of the villain's power and control. This is the point where when they fail, all is lost. The hero tends to feel like hope doesn't exist anymore, and society will give up the fight. This is also a very public kind of shaming, a public kind of failing. There's an element of, see, no one can defeat me from the villain. The rest of the characters going, wait, you aren't the hero. You aren't the prophesied one. You're just a dude. This loss will even have your character thinking that because all he's done is get his mentor character killed. And that kicks us into Act 3, the final confrontation. It starts with the hero at his darkest point. Like our opening quote said, your heroes have lots of chances of giving up, only they don't. This is their I want to give up moment. At the same time, the villain is thinking they've won. This is the end of the story. They have succeeded. 
And that tends to lead to the villain's downfall because they become complacent. Your hero, on the other hand, his internal lie is all he has left. That's the only thing that's made sense to him this entire time. Obviously, the mentor was wrong. I'm not the prophesied one. He's going to return home and maybe try to salvage the moisture farm. He's going to give up. And that's going to be very obvious by his physical location back home. He's going back where he started. He has all this other extra information. He's got the magic elixir. He's got all these things. But he's putting them under the bed. Meanwhile, externally, the location that the final stand happens is going to be revealed. Sometimes that is home. In Beauty and the Beast, you have Gaston and the troops marching on the castle. We know that's where the final conflict is going to take place, even though Belle is back home. This is a very interesting, I guess, dichotomy from how this story begins. The story begins with every day's the same, life is boring, life is regular, and if your final stand is at home, that is a true changing of the world. It's upending everything that the hero had at the beginning and basically solidifying the fact that things are not going to be the same. They cannot return to that past. And that's usually what sparks the final decision and ability for the hero to overcome that lie that they have believed from the beginning. This will often come with the help of your best friend character, sometimes your romantic interest character, who sees the good in them that they don't see in themselves. This is when the speeches happen, when the hero is convinced that this is a fight he can win. Externally, we are reminded of the secret ingredient. We are reminded that Samwise Gamgee is going to be critical because of that amazing speech that he gives. That he's going to be the one that's going to help carry Frodo because he is holding on to the hope that Frodo has lost. And with that reminder usually comes a spark of hope in the hero. If your secret ingredient is a minion of the bad guy, this reminder is their internal conviction to move against the bad guy, even if they don't have the courage to yet. That final, okay, I've served you for 20 years and now you've killed my son. That final straw. He isn't doing anything yet, but he's made the decision to. When the hero finally has that hope returned to them, they pick up the fight again. They go back to battle but they come to the edge of defeat. It is not an easy battle for them because they have failed and failed and failed again when facing the villain. Harry Potter dies. Kind of a deus ex machina that meant he lived again, but (laughs) he died. He was on the edge of defeat before something happened. A secret ingredient is revealed and does stuff. Yeah. Frodo... Gave up. He's like, okay, I'm done. I can't carry it anymore. I've carried it this far, but this is as far as it gets. Secret ingredient. I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. And with that final push, the secret ingredient stepping in, either carrying the hero or crippling the bad guy, 
finally the hero experiences victory. The villain is defeated and the world is changed forever. We talked a little bit about Gollum being the secret ingredient. This is when his own greed drives him to snatch at the ring, fall over the edge of the cliff into the lava, and melt with the ring. Victory is at hand. The bad guys have lost their mojo. The good guys overrun them and save the day. The hero journeys home again, but they're different. Because they've conquered that lie, they've conquered the villain, they are forever changed, and so is the world. Externally, we call this the New World Order. At the beginning of the story, we have the Old World Order, the Empire is in charge, and that's just how it is. The New World Order, the Empire has fallen. Now everyone can be free. The whole world, in Star Wars case, galaxy, Everyone's lives are made better because this villain has been conquered. And you know what that means? That means it's time to party. You'll see this in a lot of things. They'll have some kind of victory parade. You see it in Star Wars. In Lord of the Rings, the movies have like seven endings where Aragorn is crowned king. Yay, the end. Sam returns home and dates the girl. Yay, the end. Everyone hops into the elven boats and sails across the seas to Foreverland. Yay, the end. There are like seven of these. (laughs) But this celebration shows that your main character wasn't the villain, shows that they did a good thing. Even though they fought this fight, they changed themselves, but it was for the betterment of everybody. And the world recognizes it. That's part of being a hero is the publicity factor. Not always. We as a society have come to redefine hero to include the quiet heroes that never get that victory parade. But the traditional sense of the word hero has the world acknowledging the contribution they've made. The hero's journey from start to end is full of trial and struggle and change. It's all about change. If your character is the same at the end as they were at the beginning, they did not go on a journey, you need to change your story. Make them weaker at the beginning, especially. There is a humbling that comes with the weight of being the hero. Often that emotional blow comes with the loss of the mentor character. Sometimes it's the best friend character. We talked about in the beginning of Act 3, the best friend convinces them to continue forward and move on. Sometimes that is the best friend character dying at the hands of the villain. And there's a bit of a revenge twist to it. But the best friend character is still convincing them to move forward. Despite the hero's journey feeling formulaic and having the same themes throughout, It is a very, very good start for any story in any genre. It gives you a structure that you can follow that will fill your first, second, and third acts. If you're like me and you struggle with Act 2, The Hero's Journey is a great place to look. Those try-fails are key to driving your plot forward. So you don't have to include every single piece of The Hero's Journey in your story. You don't even have to include the hero's journey at all. They don't have to go on a journey. 
but this is a good place to look for ideas of how to make your plot and your character development better. Yeah, I would say in my own writing, I tend to skip the very last part. I tend to skip the victory parade because the victory over the bad guy is enough for me and that's the interesting part and I'm going to go write something else now. I get a lot of grief from my readers about that. And as much as this is a hero's journey, this is also a journey for the writer, for the author, for you. You get to explore the good, the bad, and the ugly of whatever world you're writing in. You get to explore the struggles of humankind and emotions and defeat and still push forward to finding something better, that piece of hope that you can hold on to. I love the hero's journey for that. So I hope that you can take what we've taught you today apply it to your own writing, and find purpose again. All is not lost in your writing. Hopefully this is a tool to help you continue and finish your book. So as you've got the pieces kind of laid out, and then you go, okay, now how do I write act two? This should give you a formula that is proven time and again that works. Learn from it, use it, fold it into an origami hat and shove it up your nose. I don't care. Do whatever you want to do, so long as you want to do it. So long as you write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. 